Welcome, everyone. Um, my name, if you don't know me, is Rabbi Mark Katz, and I want to introduce Ann Phillips. And if you want to say just a word about yourself. Sure. Um, I um, have majored in art history in college, have most of a master's in art history, and have spent my career um, in the gallery world pr primarily um, being a gallerist and um, an art advisor. Uh, so my primary field of expertise is 19th and 20th century art, but we're going to go way backwards in art history a little bit here to talk about the story of Jonah. Exactly. So we figured rather than just read the story of Jonah and tell you what happens, we would use art as midrash to best understand it. Now, what is midrash? Midrash is an ancient technique that our rabbis used to use to kind of expand the world of the story. So you would find characters. In this case, in Jonah's story, you've got Jonah, you've got God, you've got the king of Nineveh. And so what do they do? They tell extra stories to better kind of understand who these people were, what they were doing. You can almost think of it like ancient fan fiction. Now, art functions in the same way, and we're going to look at art as a way to kind of understand how these different artists expanded the world of the story itself. Now, before we begin, we have to understand what the story is. So if you know the book of Jonah, God appears to Jonah and he says, look, take a trip to Nineveh and go tell the inhabitants there that very soon I'm going to destroy their city because they are very wicked. Now, Jonah is worried. He doesn't want to listen to God. He doesn't want to follow through. And I'm sure we could talk about many reasons why that is. But he runs and he hops on a boat headed toward Tarshish, which is in the complete opposite direction. Hmm. Now, God catches wind of this and realizes that Jonah's trying to flee. And one of the big messages from the book of Jonah is you can't, un un um, you can't outrun God. And so Jonah ends up in a storm. The ship is about to sink. He realizes it's his fault. And he asks everyone to throw him overboard. And after they do, and this is the most famous scene from the book of Jonah, Jonah gets swallowed up by a giant fish, a dag gadol. And he sits in the belly of that fish for three days. He becomes penitent. There's a beautiful poem about how Jonah kind of learns that he's doing the wrong thing and asks God if God will let him go until finally God does. The fish vomits him out onto land. He walks to Nineveh, goes to the king and tells the king, you need to change your ways. Now the king, and a surprise in the story, listens to Jonah. He immediately puts on sackcloth and ashes, sits on the ground and says, to all of his inhabitants, including the animals, that they need to do the same. Now, Jonah finds himself outside the gates, and he's disappointed that he walked all the way to Nineveh, only to have Nineveh not be destroyed. He wanted the laser light shows. He wanted the walls <laughs> to come crumbling down. And so Jonah is sitting there, and God, realizing that God needs to change Jonah's mind and teach him a lesson, ends up creating a gourd to give Jonah shade as he sits, waiting for the city to be destroyed. Now, eventually, God sends a, a bug, really a worm, to eat the gourd, and the gourd withers. And Jonah looks at God and basically says, you know, end me now. I, I can't take sitting in this heat waiting for the city to be destroyed. And God ends with a question. It's the only book that ends with a question in the whole of the Bible. Hmm. God says, basically, did you expect me not to care about my inhabitants? You care about a little gourd. How am I not supposed to care about the people of Nineveh and all their animals. And that is ultimately how the story ends. So now that we hear this story, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a few different pieces of art that uh, each tell 
one scene in their own way. And that scene is going to be Jonah being vomited up on land by the fish as a way to kind of understand the way that these different artists understood the character of Jonah, who the fish was, who God was in all of this. And we'll end with one surprise at the very end for all of those who love Amsterdam. So <laughs> we'll move into, um, I'll share my screen now with everybody and Anne and I will be in conversation about each of these different pieces. So hopefully people at this point can see my shared screen. And, um, and what are we looking at here? Um, okay, I've, I've lost, um, lost my notes, but that's okay. I think I can do it off the top of my head. Um, what we have here is, uh, is labeled the sarcophagus of Jonah from the Roman period. This is um, a sarcophagus that's in the Vatican Museum. And it's one of the um, most famous images of Jonah. Of course, sarcophagi were you know, um, important um, artistically in the Roman era too, but now here in this early Christian era, we see the beginnings of what will really be the theme for a lot of Western art to come for centuries. And that is that if you can imagine living in the time when Jesus was alive and, and in, in the you know, years after, um, the Christian religion was trying to figure out a way to um, gain new you know followers and to tell the stories that they needed to tell to these you know to the the new adherents of the religion and so um this was a time when people were illiterate nobody could read there weren't books so they did this through art so a lot of the early christian um art is is really fascinating because you see them developing um, their kind of marketing of the religion to um, the you know the people in the world at that time and how they're using these images in the you know early churches or in the sarcophagi like this um, to really tell the stories and one of the themes that is predominant throughout is that the Old Testament prefigures the New Testament so they're always matching up a scene from the Old Testament to something in the New Testament saying, see, this isn't really just about Jonah. This is really about something else that has to do with Jesus or the Christian religion. So in the case of Jonah, the fact that he is thrown into the water, is in the belly of this um, creature for three days, and then emerges onto dry land becomes um, a prefiguration of the resurrection of Christ because Jesus was in the tomb for three days um, before he emerges um, and is resurrected. So that's, and it's also a reference to baptism. So I, everything I've learned about Christianity, I've learned through art, <laughs> uh, through studying um, art history through the ages. And so Joan is usually depicted naked, being um, thrown into the sea um, as a, so it can connect more strongly to the idea of baptism. And the way that the creature is depicted, it's not always, I mean, it's a little ambiguous in the Hebrew, but then it gets translated into Greek in some Bibles, and then Rabbi knows way more about this than I do, and then into other languages. So I think that this creature, which looks much more like a serpent, is really derived from the word that was used to translate the Hebrew into Greek which had more of a meaning of serpent rather than fish. So that's why sometimes this, you know, the idea of the whale is really a much later 
nom you know nomenclature for the, the, the creature in the sea. But um, at any rate, and and um, like many of these um, re carved reliefs, there are many different scenes. So they're really trying to tell the whole story um, throughout. So you see, um, obviously, the ship and him being you know thrown into the sea, and then he's spit out onto the dry land, and above. That is um, him reclining like a sort of Greek figure um, under the gourd. Um, and then above the, in between those two scenes, there's this little tiny figure, um, and that's actually Moses who's receiving the olive branch from the dove. Um, so there's a, a, another reference there. And then in the far upper left, um, they, they bring in the resurrection itself, and that's. Um, uh, Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, I think. So anyway, there, there's a lot to unpack here, but we have more to one go. Of things, so we one of the things that I like about this is the fact that, um, first of all, the, the serpent is a really important image in Judaism in general, right? If you think about it, the original fall, right? Adam and Eve, if it's the serpent that convinces them to do this, the serpent at the bidding of God or not at the bidding of God, it's a big question, right? The other thing, and you pointed this out when we were prepping for this talk, is that in the right-hand side, you see a father and a son who are kind of observing. And so one question that I never even considered is, look, this is a miracle, right? Jonah ends up in the belly of a whale or fish, or in this case, a serpent, gets spit out onto dry land. But the question is, did anybody see it? And so this is an interesting question that gets raised by the sarcophagus and answered in the sense that there are witnesses to this. Right. And I think in a Christian milieu, it makes sense that, that you don't want um, miracles to happen in a vacuum. Right. But rather, you know, there are, witnesses, um, there are witnesses to the resurrection. People who show up later see the empty, um, the empty uh, cave. People in the book of Acts who get a chance to, um, you know, to hear from Jesus directly, the Holy Spirit. And so um, every other image that we're going to look at does not have witnesses. And I think that's really important right. here. Let's turn yeah. to the next one. And you yeah, I just want to say a little bit, one little thing, like the witnessing, there are all those images of people pointing to the various, um, you know, like the, the saints, you know, and they're, you know, where they're injured or where they, you know, how they were killed or, or they're pointing to, the you know injuries in Christ's body. So there's a, that whole idea of witnessing is very important in the art too. Awesome. So what are we looking at here? This is uh, Tintoretto who um, studied with Titian. He's a, um, obviously an Italian artist, um, one of the most important artists, uh, Venetian artists. Um, and this is from a um, the Scuola Grande di San Rocco, as it says. They were these various scuole in Venice, which were confraternities of middle-class people who got together, sort of like mutual aid societies. And um, it was a way for the middle class to try and do good for their community and also gain some stature and prestige um, um, in the um, Venice community. And so what you have to understand was this is part of a whole architecture, sort of like the Sistine ceiling. Um, some people think that this was one of the most famous ones. Um, is kind of the the Venetian equivalent of the Sistine ceiling um, in Rome. So the shape of this would have been surrounded by architecture of the this you know all these grand rooms. Um, and so Tintoretto did this whole uh, painting cycle in in several of the different rooms in the scuola, um, and including one that had a lot of scenes of the Old Testament um, and the New Testament. So obviously here we have well the rabbi and I are discussing this whether 
whether who's who's uh, Jonah here? I actually think the middle, the central figure there is Jonah because he's, uh, as I said, it was important that he be shown naked to have this connection to baptism and rebirth. Um, and in lots of other images, he's shown naked with just this sort of drapery, you know, for modesty and shown with the white hair and a beard, although he does appear very godlike too. But then that begs the question, who's the figure on the left? That's the witness maybe, I don't know <laughs> who, who that could be. But um, the creature is very hard to, um, to really ascertain there. It doesn't look like, like a whale or even like a sea creature, but there's some references to the, the, the creature being um, a fish with a dog face. And I think that's kind of what we have here with almost like a nose and this kind of big stream of air, you know, coming out of the creature's uh, nose as he spits um, Jonah onto the dry land. And as I've read about this, when we were talking about this, one of the things that many people think is that there are two creatures and one is God and one is Jonah. And so we had a little bit of a disagreement about who was God and who was Jonah when we were uh, originally trying to understand this because um, we couldn't find any unanimity online about that. But if the center creature or the center person is God, hypothetically, because it does look like a kind of a God that you would find on the Sistine Chapel and the left-hand side is Jonah. Um, or the opposite. What's important nonetheless is the fact that um, Ticciaretto imagines that Jonah is having a conversation with God. Right. right? The conversation in the belly of the beast, right? The, um, that, that, that middle chapter in the book of uh, Jonah, he's pouring out his heart to God, but it's not like God ever responds. He finishes pouring out his heart to God when he's in the belly of the fish, and then the fish spits him out, and then he continues. Here you get to see an actual conversation. God is the ultimate witness and the ultimate teacher in that moment as well. So do you have any last-minute stuff to say before we move on to the next one? No, oh, I think we, that's it. So what are we looking at now? Okay, here um, we're moving um, to um, Northern Europe. This is Jan Bruegel the Elder, sort of, uh, uh, Dutch artist, Flemish artist, um, and he's very much um, painting in the Dutch style. He was known for painting in many different genres. He did still lives, he did um, these kind of fantastical um, images of paradise, he did, you know, landscapes and seascapes, um, and part of the Counter-Reformation, which was very important in the Netherlands, was um, the feeling that, that you could um, worship God by uh, worshiping everything that he created in the world, you know, all of God's creation. So the Northern Renaissance artists had much more of an interest in painting landscapes and, you know, um, all sorts of, you know, scenes of daily life. Everything was important um, rather than the um, um, Italian artists. And so here you, you get this whole seascape, this whole little, um, context for um, for the, the moment when Jonah is um, kind of spat out onto the, the dry land. Um, and again, the fish, the creature's looking more like a fish here, which is kind of interesting. And then you can see in the lower left, there's a, what looks like a, a large snail of some sort. And all the Dutch or Northern artists, they, everything was very complicated iconography. Everything had a meaning. So I'm sure there's some meaning, which I don't know, um, 
for why he decided to put that snail there. It's not just a random thing. The snail must have had some sort of significance, which was telling. But um, as we were talking before, there's this beautiful light coming in from the left where you see the um, kind of the white caps. And, and to me, that's part of the, maybe that's the conversation with God there, only it's done through light rather than having the, the two figures together. The other thing that I want to point out, and I want you to notice as you're looking at this, for those who are watching, is kind of what state is Jonah in, right? We're told that the fish vomits him onto dry land. Here he's walking very kind of penitently, as mm -hmm. Anne said. The other thing is the state of the fish, right? It almost looks like the fish has just been through an ordeal, like the fish has been worn down. Mm -hmm. He's so exhausted that he opens his mouth and allows Jonah to walk out. So I want you to really pay attention to the state of Jonah and the state of the fish as we look at the next two, because this functions as a midrash in trying to explain who these different characters are. I will also say, pay attention to his age. In the sarcophagus, he looked like he was slightly older than me. Right here, he looks like an old man, just like he looked like an old man in the next, mm -hmm. um, in the previous. But take a look at this next one. Totally different, right? So Very what are we here? And this is Peter Lastman, who um, was actually one of the teachers of um, Rembrandt. And he had spent a lot of time in Italy. Um, and so this very much... Um, resembles you know what a more um, what an Italian artist would have done with this scene in that um, the figure is very muscular it's a very dramatic um, you know uh, rendition of the scene because you're very you're up close you're right there as opposed to the broiler where you see the whole landscape the whole sea in front of you here you're just like you're standing there on that rock and he's just bursting out onto the picture plane um, right in front of you. So, um, and again, it's a very detailed uh, sea creature, um, really kind of fantastical looking creature. And this is what I mean, like the Tintoretto, we were discussing who was God and who was Jonah. He, he was very much like that figure there in the center of the Tintoretto, where he's got the long beard, just the, you know, the cloth around him, and he's otherwise um, naked. But he looks, you know, sort of surprised and relieved, you know, that, oh my gosh, you know, I'm finally out of there. And with this great force of the, the wind coming from um, the sea creature. So um, it's a beautifully rendered work, and probably one of the most famous images of Jonah and the whale. Yeah. I mean, one has to ask the question about whether or not Jonah knew he was going to leave when he did, right? The fish vomits onto land. Does he know in that moment he's going? Has he heard a voice that says, Jonah, get ready to go? Here, it doesn't look like he did. Whereas no, I don't the, think so. <laughs> it really does look like he's ready to go. He, he's thankful. And the yeah. question is, does he realize that he's now been spit out onto land within a you know, a reasonable walk away from Nineveh mm. and that he's going to be going and doing that. Mm. So we move to the next one, and this is our last in the kind of Jonah onto land sequence. And what are we looking at, Anne? Well, this is um, much later in time. So this is right around 1900. And it's a very interesting story. It's um, James Tissot, who's a French artist, who is known throughout his career as very famous for society portraits. He did beautiful women, um, and with all, you know, great detail to their dress and all the, um, their hats and their parasols and all the different fabrics of, of the dresses. People at cafes, you know, they were very sort of frothy pictures um, of, of well-to-do people. Um, and 
at a certain point, he's um, in the Church of Saint-Sulpice in Paris, and he has a, a, a religious conversion. Uh, he sees this vision. And from then on to the end of his life, he only paints religious scenes. So this is, I had not, did not even know about this side of Tissot's work. I was astonished to see this. So he embarks on uh, these big projects to illustrate um, the new, first the New Testament and then the Old Testament. And interesting left enough through the Schiff family, a famous New York Jewish family, um, all of the um, watercolors for the Old Testament were purchased by the Schiffs and given to the Jewish Museum. So this is in the collection here in New York. But here, you know, this being 1900, um, now the figure of the man or Jonah is predominant. And so you have, you know, much less of, I mean, you have this sort of sense of that he's, you know, coming out of the sea and you have the end of, you know, the tail end of the, um, the sea creature, but he's really walking onto the shore himself. Um, and it's really the, the, you know, he's taking up the whole picture space. So now the individual has become the most important thing, which is a very much a, you know, 20th century um, concept. Um, and he's looking almost disdainfully over his shoulder at the at the whale. So I think he's um, certainly, you know, striding, you know, fully within his power um, onto the shore. And you're bringing up a really interesting point, which is like the question of, you know, where should the emphasis lie um, in a story, right? I'm sure we've all read literature where the setting is the main character or, um, or the character or the protagonist plays a huge role versus a protagonist who plays, let's say, a subservient role to the events of the story, right? The plot. Um, and so by choosing whether to paint Jonah large, paint Jonah small, paint the landscape large, paint the landscape small, um, these, uh, these artists are making conscious choices about like kind of what is the timbre or feel of the story in the same way that we would when we read a great piece of literature. I also noticed that he kind of, as opposed to our last one, where he looked surprised, right? Mm -hmm. Or the right. one before where he looked penitent. Mm -hmm. If you move forward, here he kind of looks disgusted. Like yeah, he knows that he needs to go to Nineveh and he's really annoyed about that. Um, and you get that sense. I also like the fact that he's probably around 34 years old, That's which right. not only around my age, but also yeah. Jesus is age too, which I think like all the more so proves the point that you made at the beginning. And no beard. Um, you know, so it's very different very different kind of look. So we've now kind of looked at this cycle of different people coming out of Jonah. I want to leave us with one final image because our congregation is so connected to Amsterdam, we might as well finish with a Rembrandt. And so this is the <laughs> right? Rembrandt um, paints Jonah, an old man, notice, as opposed to younger, sitting underneath his gourd, um, you know, kind of waiting for the city to be destroyed and upset that it won't, right? But I'm curious if you've got anything final to add about this image before we end today. Um, only in, in that um, Rembrandt, uh, you know, of course, was just one of the most extraordinary artists who ever lived. And, but he was always, what was so extraordinary about him, not only his facility with painting, but his ability to, um, to paint the psychology of his sitters and, and or the, the people in scenes such as this. So even in this little ink sketch, um, you know, a, a preparatory work for something or maybe an idea he was working on, 
um, you really, you get so much of the emotion and whatever the feelings um, that were um, going through Jonah at the time. So I think it's, you know, so typical of Rembrandt that even in this little, little scrap of a thing, you know, there's, there's so much going on there psychologically. But I have a question about Jonah, having spent so much time looking at these images and reading um, the book of Jonah, which is why did God choose such an imperfect messenger? Interesting. A good question. I mean, like, why him? He could have chosen somebody else who was, yeah, yeah, I'll go and I'll go right to Nineveh and I won't like fool around going to Tarshish instead. I mean, so that is, that's the essence of the story. And that's what makes um, biblical stories so interesting is that, um, is that like our heroes are usually anti-heroes. And in this particular case, like this is an anti-prophet. It's the difference between Greek literature and Jewish literature. Mm. Greek literature tends to be, um, you know, the, the, the forces of the gods and one inner flaw causing people's downfall versus people's downfall actually being the thing that makes them interesting and that, you know, that makes it work. So the answer is, no one knows. That's what makes the story so amazing. Mm -hmm. I've always thought that part of the reason that God came to, to Jonah is because he wanted um, someone who was reluctant to go. Mm -hmm. um, because, um, right, the, the, the medium is the message in this particular case. And if somebody were to go and they were to be, you know, excited about their task, versus someone who's worried about their task, doesn't want to do it, is apprehensive, it's going to read differently to the people of Nineveh. Mm -hmm. I wonder if a different prophet went to Nineveh, if Nineveh would have reacted with the kind of gusto of repentance that they did um, when they met Jonah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So with that being said, and I want to thank you so much. Um, oh, my pleasure. So fun. Joined us. I hope you have a good rest of the afternoon. Thank Our um, Ni'ila services begin at 6 p.m. Um, you can find the link for that um, in your emails or online. And uh, please be in touch if you have any insights about any of this art or even the last question that Anne asked. So thank you very much. Thank and you. Tova to everyone. May you have a meaningful end of your fast. Uh, same. Thank you.